0: mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So it's the day of my wedding, and I have to go and get my hair cut. And I go to this barber that I've never gone to before. And he's a nice guy, but he's one of those talkative types, right? I'm there to get my hair cut, not to have a conversation. But be that as it may, there we are. I'm getting my hair cut, and the guy starts asking me about who I am, what I'm doing, at the time I was in the seminary, and so I'm talking about, you know, I'm, I'm in grad school, going to become a pastor, etc., etc. And he says, oh, hmm, I don't believe in all that religion mumbo-jumbo. It's like, that's great. Can you just cut my hair? Can we just kind of continue? <clears throat> and he, I said, but I said, okay, all right. Well, tell me, you know, what do you believe about life? He said, well, I don't know that life really matters all that much. I said, well, what do you believe about where we all came from? How are we here? And he kind of gets quiet for a second, and he leans in, and he says, you know what I think? Aliens. (laughs) Which to me uh, was proof of the quote attributed to G.K. Chesterton, who once said, when the world does not believe in God, they don't believe in nothing, they'll believe in anything. Why do I tell you this story? Because here in these parting words from Paul, he's writing to Timothy, and here he he veritably grabs him by the lapels and says to Timothy, Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, and by his appearing and by his kingdom, preach the word. He says this to Timothy because he, he tells him, look, Timothy, a time is coming when people are going to listen to whatever their itching ears want to hear. They're going to believe if people tell them, aliens are why we are here. They will believe anything just to avoid believing in what the, the truth of God's word. And so, Timothy, it's so important that you preach the word in season and out of season. Rebuke, reprove, exhort with all patience and teaching. Don't flag or fail in this, Timothy. Preach the word. Now, to put it that way, preach the word, that's kind of open to interpretation in its own right. People have different ideas about what it means to preach the word or or what the preacher is to do. Some folks have an idea that the the preacher is kind of like a a therapist. And he's here to tell you how you can live your best life now. How you can be a happy and well-adjusted human being. But other people view the preacher, he's kind of like a coach. He's going to stand up here and kind of give you TED Talks. You guys familiar with TED Talks? You know, kind of self-help guru type who's going to say, hey, all right, get out there, get after it. People have all kinds of different ideas about who a preacher is, what he's supposed to do. Simply to say, preach the word, leaves open maybe too big of of a loophole. But there's an ancient image of the pastor, of the preacher, Which I think is more fitting. The Germans called it a Seelsorger, a Seelsorger, which literally means a soul healer. That as a a doctor is to the body, so a pastor and a preacher is to the soul. A doctor of the soul, if you will. And look, when I'm in the pulpit, this is when the doctor is in. You know, could have a little sign out there the doctor is in. Because it's from the pulpit that, as uh, Paul exhorted Timothy, so it still is true for preachers today. Here is where we bring and apply the Word of God to the people of God. And so what I want to do this morning is to think about what does it mean for the preacher as this soul doctor to apply that Word of God. And I realize I'm a little bit self-conscious about the fact I'm going to do a sermon about sermons, okay? And I'm going to preach about preaching. But I think it's important so that you know, what is this about? What am I supposed to be listening for? What's a sermon do? And so I want to play with that image a little bit of the doctor, of the, the pastor, the preacher, as a doctor, as we walk through this text. I encourage you to pull out your um, worship folder and turn to the epistle reading from 2 Timothy, as we're going to be referencing that and going back to that. So the first thing that goes along with this preaching, as Paul tells Timothy. He says to Timothy, okay, preach the word in season and out. Reprove, rebuke. And I should point out, too, that in each of these admonitions that Paul gives to Timothy about his preaching, you'll notice it more or less mirrors what Paul says about the word of God. If you look up above at the end of chapter 3 there, in verses 14 and 15, he talks about the word of God and, and what it does, the scripture in 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. This is the first office, the first job of preaching. The preacher is to rebuke, to reprove, to call to account, to convict of sin. Now, this is the more painful part of preaching, right? But it's just like when you go to the doctor, if you go to the doctor with a broken bone, the doctor's not going to say they're there. Everything's gonna be okay. It'll all be better. You know, take two and call me in the morning. The doctor needs to set the bone. When there's an infection, he needs to take out the scalpel and uh, uh, remove the infection. When, there, when there's the, uh, those gangrene, I'm sorry, this is getting kind of gross. I hope you guys had breakfast already. He's got to do painful work, in other words, in order that he can do healing work. That's part and parcel of the doctor's vocation. And it's also true for the preacher as well, that the preacher is called to rebuke, to reprove. This is what we think of as the ministry of the law, of God's law that tells us this is how we are to live. This is his standard for us as humans. A standard, by the way, that we all fall short of each and every day. That's why we constantly need to hear and to be reminded, look, here's how you have fallen short. Here's how you and I need to repent, to turn away from our sinful ways and to pursue God more faithfully, to strive to live according to his will more closely. So as preacher, that's my first job as well, to rebuke, to say, turn, repent. Now, especially in our day and age, people will will say, well, wait a second now. Isn't that a little bit judgmental? How can you call me to, how can you rebuke me, call me to repentance? But look, when the pastor, when the preacher is applying this word of law, it's no more judgmental than the doctor saying to the patient, hey, you've got a broken bone there, we need to set it, see? It's just speaking to the way things actually are. It's going to reality. In fact, for us to deny that, to ignore the fact that things are not as they're meant to be, that things are broken, would be a fundamental failure of the vocation. Just as the doctor is called, first of all, to do no harm, so also the preacher does no harm in bringing God's word, the, the uh, condemning, convicting word of the law to bear on a people. Uh, The poet T.S. Eliot got at this in, in his poem, Four Quartets. He speaks of the wounded surgeon, and he says, Our only health is the disease if we obey the dying nurse whose constant care is not to please but to remind of our and Adam's curse and that to be restored our sickness must grow worse whose constant care is not to please, but to remind of our and Adam's curse. This is the preacher's first job, to rebuke, to reprove, to correct, to bring the word of God's law, to bear on the people of God, so that we would turn, so that we wouldn't allow that that wound to turn gangrenous, so that that infection wouldn't get any worse, but instead we can go and receive the healing that we need. Which brings us to the second task of the preacher. Paul puts it this way. He says, preach the word, in season and out, rebuke and reprove, yes, but then exhort with complete patience and teaching. I'm dissatisfied with that translation, exhort. It doesn't speak truly, in my opinion, to uh, the Greek word underlying it, "parakaleo," which is the same word that's used to describe the Holy Spirit as the comforter. The idea that Paul is getting at here is that the preacher not only reproves and rebukes, he not only applies that scalpel of the law, but he also, and even more so, comforts and consoles, applies the healing balm of the gospel. Even as the doctor in his ministry, in his vocation, he doesn't just set the bone, he doesn't just apply the scalpel, but then he applies the healing medicine then he, he provides the cast and all the things that are needed in order for that bone, for that disease to heal. That's what the preacher is called to do even more so. C.F.W. Walther was one of the great leaders and teachers of our Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. And he said that the gospel should always predominate in the preaching of, of God's pastors. That more than anything, I am called to bring you the good news, to apply that salve, that balm of the Lord's good news, that gospel. That's why it says in uh, Isaiah 52, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. Now, you can't quite see my feet from here. But according to the Lord's word, insofar as I bring you good news, I have beautiful feet. And that's true for all of you. That as you share the good news with one another, and with those who don't know the Lord, you are coming with beautiful feet, applying the consoling word of the gospel. The good news that the world so desperately needs. In my experience, we all tend to know that we have failed at the law. We all tend to know that things are broken and not the way that they're supposed to be. But what we really need to hear, we don't need to beat that dead horse. What we need is a word of resurrection. What we need is a word of consolation. And that's the word of the gospel. That's why I'm here more than anything else, to bring you and to continue to bring to your ears to remind you the good news. I would love to be accused sometime of, Pastor, you know what? You are preaching too much good news. See, go easy on that grace stuff. Nobody says this, just like nobody says, you know what, I'm feeling a little too healthy. Or I'm just a little bit too happy right now. No, neither can you receive a little bit too much grace or good news. Week by week, day by day, we want extra helpings and heapings on of that good news of God. And that's why the preacher as the soul healer, the zales order is here, to apply that healing, consoling word of the gospel. But that's not all. There's one more aspect to this that Paul picks up on. And again, it comes out of that discussion of the word of God. All scripture breathed out by God uh, for uh, teaching, for reproof and correction, yes, but also for training, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That the preacher not only convicts, he not only consoles, but so to speak, he also conducts. He leads and trains the people of God. This is where the the doctor, you know, another doctor we might call a physical therapist, right? And what's the physical therapist's goal? He doesn't just want you to take care of a a broken bone. Now they want to do the next step. How can we recover? How can we lead you back to, to full health? See. So also the preacher doesn't just want to bring you healing but also wants you to live in a state of health. The doctor doesn't want to see you every single week because you've got something else wrong again and again and again. Ultimately, he wants to help train you and equip you to lead healthy lives, right? Now, he's always there insofar as we need that healing medicine. But more than anything, he wants to help to guide you, to train you, to live in a healthy lifestyle, to be able to eat well and to exercise and so on and so forth. So also the preacher wants to train you in righteousness, which is to say, I want to exhort you and equip you and to lead you to live in the ways of God. It doesn't mean that you're ever going to get beyond the need for forgiveness, that you're ever going to transcend grace by no means. But by God's grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we do strive to live more and more in step with God's Spirit. It reminds me of a story I heard once about Mother Teresa. Somebody asked Mother Teresa, you guys know Mother Teresa, this uh, woman who who cared for and attended to the poor and the marginalized in India. And and somebody asked her once, Mother Teresa, what's your ultimate goal and aim and desire? And the answer that she gave surprised, surprised the journalist that was asking her. What she said was this, my ultimate goal is to put myself out of a job. Why would she say that? Because she hoped and prayed for a day when she didn't have all these sick and broken people that needed her care. Of course, she knew in her heart of hearts that that day was not going to come, probably, this side of our Lord's return. But still, that's what she longed for, when things would be back right. When we would need people to care for the sick and the poor and the marginalized. So also, what's a doctor's goal, ultimately, to put himself out of a job that I wouldn't need to, to attend to all these sick and hurting people? And my desire and goal for a preacher is that someday I wouldn't be needed as well. That we would all know the Word of God so perfectly, that the grace of God would be so instilled in our hearts that we wouldn't need to be continually reminded. But I know that that's not the case this side of paradise. Still, I'm praying for and longing for and looking forward to the day when Christ comes again and each and every one of us will be steeped permanently in the good news of our Savior. But until that day, until that day, I want to continue to encourage you to eat right, to nourish yourself not only from bread, but from the bread of the Word. To exercise daily. This sounds like one of those signs out in front of the church. Exercise daily. Walk in the Spirit. That's ultimately where I want to lead you to be, to that place of of health in the Lord. But all that said, all that said, I want to be clear that even then, the church is not and never is a gym for spiritual all-stars, okay? Nor, it's been said, is the church a museum for perfect saints, The church is essentially and always in this life a hospital for sinners. Sinners like you and me. All I am is a a wounded healer bringing you to the balm of the Lord. We gather together to hear the word of God because there is hope in nowhere else. We gather together to receive Jesus' balm and healing because there is health in no one else. And so ultimately, as a job, my most important role is to remember that I'm always just an intern, see. And I need to call in the specialist, the great physician, Christ Jesus. What I want to do more than anything else is just to continually bring you to Christ. He who, by his wounds, we are healed. I can never provide that restoration. Christ alone can. And so if I'm doing my job up here, I am bringing you back to the great physician, Day by day, week by week, year by year. That's why I'm here, folks. I don't have the healing power, but Christ does. Him and in his wounds, we are able to be made whole. And by his body and blood, we are continually being made holy. I find it beautiful that from the time of the early church, the Lord's Supper was referred to as the medicine of immortality. The medicine of immortality. And that's the great physician's prescription for you and me. Take, eat, take, and drink. Because apart from him, we perish. Look, Paul wrote these words to Timothy because he warned him. A time is coming when people are going to listen for whatever their itching ears want to hear. Are we in those times? Yes, we are. And the world might... uh, bristle at the notion that, you know, we need this medicine of immortality? No! Every day and every way we're getting better and better. But you and I take heart, knowing we have a Savior who did not come for the well, but who came for the sick. A great physician who continues to receive you and me to himself in order to apply the balm of his body and blood, in order to bring the healing medicine of his good news, and his prognosis for you and me is glorious. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.